in the beginning of Luke chapter 2, this is the account of Jesus' birth. This is his birth narrative. There is a, there is a census that went out, so Joseph and Mary have to go to, had to go to Bethlehem, and he gives birth. Uh, she gives birth to Jesus during that time. So we'll, we'll read that another Sunday. What I want to read today is just verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. This is setting, setting the stage for, or, or what is actually, the encounter of the angels with the shepherds. Okay, but this is just the very beginning of it. So this is God's word to us from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Father, as we listen to just this little bit of the narrative, help us to see what glory is. Help us to encounter glory. And help us to be people who are formed and shaped by glory. For we ask it in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so, this is something that comes up a lot in Scripture and something we've talked about a lot, which is things that attract you connect you. And I think we all know this is true from our own personal experience. I've never been a huge music. Well, I love music. I like music, but not you like were a big. F- just fine, just now next What's to that? me, man. It yeah. was great. Okay. Well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. I appreciate that. Don't I will sell pay. Yourself short. I will pay you later. <clears throat> I've never. Fifty bills I, are the lowest denomination fi- I accept. Fifty bills. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe next week. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's certain bands that I definitely like, but I'm not a big concert goer. I don't go and follow bands. But there are people that do exactly like, like the Grateful Dead. Obviously, that's a big one. People go. Fran's brother and his family are huge um, fish fans. Are you familiar with fish? Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like, the, I think, the modern version of Grateful Dead. And they spend every year, they go pro- probably multiple times for multiple weeks, they will go and follow the band around. And they love the music, right? The music is the glory, but that music that is the glory is also the very thing that connects them with this whole community of people. And maybe you've, ha- maybe you've got that experience in other ways. I don't know, maybe you've got a hobby. Skating, obviously. When we were talking about that, I was asking him, somebody was over at the skate park this morning, he went to say, hey, and I'm like, do you know, do you know the person? <coughs> and he said no, but you said the skate community is not that big in Greeley, so you pretty much know most people. There's something about the glory of skating that connects people around that glory. When we come to this text, this text is about glory, and it is about a glory that connects, and it's about God's glory being exposed that actually connects us, not just to God, but also to the people who are drawn to and attracted to that glory. So as we look at this over the next several weeks, I want to I wanna break it out this way to say, you know, progressing through the passage, we see that this glory does a few things to us. It undoes us. It gospels us. And I'll explain that in a few weeks. It accesses us through humility and then it excites us to joy. So all of these things I've got in your little 
handout with the sheets with the songs if you want to take a look at it today i just want to look at this first one the the, the this glory it actually undoes us and this is what we see in the first two verses that we read today it undoes us what does this mean so the shepherds are in their normal routine I mean, put yourself in their shoes. They're in their normal routine. They're doing the shepherding thing, whatever shepherds do while they're watching sheep. Do you ever wonder who these guys were? You ever like stopped and kind of pondered? Like, I wonder what their lives were like before this incident. They're recorded for in history. Like people will read about them forever. But prior to this, who were they? We don't really know. I mean, we don't know much about them, obviously, before. We don't know much about them. I don't know if we know anything historically about them afterwards. I would imagine they had normal concerns. I imagine they had normal issues that they had to face in life, in their work, in their families, in their community. Maybe things were great with them. Maybe this was a great day for them. Maybe it was not a great day. Maybe they were going through all kind of significant conflict. Maybe they were going through marital strife. Uh, maybe they're having trouble with their kids. Who knows what... Who knows what they were going through, right? You can only imagine it was something probably similar to what we experience. And I would imagine it was not anything unusual. Mm. I would imagine they were just doing their normal routine. And suddenly, in the midst of the mundane, another another dimension opens up. I mean, you are in your normal routine, and all of a sudden, a messenger of God appears, and it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. I mean, how do you respond to this? I want want to sink into this. I want to listen to what God has to say with this and and ask, ask, I got three questions, and that'll be for what we want to talk about today. What is this glory? This glory shown. What is this glory? How does it undo us? Because that's the challenge. That's what happens to them. How does it undo us? And then where does it lead us? So first, this, this question of what is glory? Well, glory, the word glory here, the Greek word is, is doxa. And it can mean lots of things, but basically radiance. It's the radiance. But it's connected to the Hebrew word of kavod. I don't know if you've heard of the word kavod. Kavod in Hebrew, the word glory in Hebrew, kavod, is weighty. It's weighty. So it's a radiant, let's talk about it as a radiant weightiness. Or kavod, K-O-V, kavod. I don't know in English. I don't don't know either. K-O-V-A-D, Kavod, O-D probably, yeah. If you, look, if you say Kavod, it'll Google it, it'll, it'll give it to you probably in Hebrew too. So, Yeah, so what is this weighty, what is this heavy, this, this, this weighty brilliance? Well, I, I think there's a couple ways to think about it. There's a million ways to think about it, but a couple ways just for our meditation, our, our focus right now. And it's this, it's infinite greatness and it's absolute goodness. Infinite greatness. If the veil were lifted and we were able to see into like (laughs) space and and stand in the presence of the one who formed the cosmos and formed the subatomic particles that make us up. If we were sit in his in that space, what do you think would happen to you? 
if, if, you, if you were consciously in the unfiltered presence of infinite greatness, what would happen to you? Have you ever thought about, I love the ocean, so I have actually thought about this. Have you ever thought about being dropped in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean all alone? Or shot into space <laughs> millions of miles away? Have you ever seen uh, the movie Gravity? Oh, it's a great film. Oh, my goodness, yeah. It, uh, Sandra Bullock and what's George his name? Clooney. George Clooney, yeah. And they so, something happens, their ship gets destroyed, and they're just floating out in the middle of space trying to get back to Earth. Like, the concept of floating in the middle of space or floating in the middle of the ocean, that is a daunting, intimidating, like, concept and thought. Is it not? Well... This idea of being in the presence of the one who made the space and who made the ocean is supposed to be this much more magnificent and and daunting, this close encounter with him. But this glory was not just an impersonal infinite greatness. Like there's, there's no way to get our head around the infinite greatness, but it's something to consider. But it's not just that. Because it's this goodness, too. We, we all have ideas of what, like, perfect love and joy and peace and unity and justice and truth are supposed to be. We all have these images of, of what that is and what that should be. What do you think it would be like to encounter the one who not only possesses all those things perfectly, but is the source from which they originate? Like, what if you were in that presence? That's God. The one who not only is the one who possesses it, but is the source of it all. How, how often do I dissect God's character in order to talk about him and understand him? Okay, follow, follow with this for a second. So often I feel like, I don't know that you can avoid that. Like, how do we talk about God? We break him apart. What we talk about is different characteristics, right? I don't know that we can avoid this, but when we dissect him, we potentially lose sight of the wholeness don't we? We start tearing it apart, you start losing sight of, of wholeness. If we break his goodness into parts and try to define them separate from one another and even separate from him, we run the risk of misrepresenting his goodness and creating lesser idols out of his parts. Does that make sense? Love is not God. Unity is not God. Peace is not God. Truth is not God. I think sometimes, especially within our culture, we, we try to, we, we like one of those characteristics, right? So we try to grab hold of one of those characteristics and we deify the derivative of God, which is really a less than God. It's what he actually calls idolatry because God is love, unity, peace, truth. He is these things. And he is these things absolutely with no division, tension, contradiction, or hierarchy. This is the glory of absolute goodness. Um, So Jewish folks, but this is also just a a Christian thing. It's a biblical thing. There is um, something called the Shema. I don't know if you've heard of this before. It's the word here in, in Hebrew. And... The word Shema comes from Deuteronomy 6, where it says, Hear, that's the Shema word, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This is the centerpiece for understanding the unity of God and his glory. 
This is where the idea of the unity of God, it's not the, this is where it it's kind of culminates in the Hebrew Scriptures. The unity of the glory of God. He is one absolute goodness. There is not a God of the land and a God of the sea. Uh, there's not a God of truth and a God of love and a God of unity. There's only one from whom all blessings flow. And what does that have to do with the story here? This infinite greatness and absolute goodness is the glory of God that radiates on the shepherds. And it is, it's, it is glory that I need to radiate on me. And I think we need to radiate on us. I think we lose... We lose. We don't. I don't know that I have a concept so often of what glory is, and I, I want to know this. I, I want us to experience what this glory is. So how does it undo us? Well, what was the shepherd's response? It says in verse nine they were filled with fear. They were pet- petrified. They were. They were undone. They were, they were undone. Why? Well, <laughs> imagine. I mean, it was pretty unexpected. I mean, there's a reason there. It was startling. It was awesome. I'm sure it was absolutely fantastic. It makes sense why it probably captured their attention, but why fearful? Well, it seems like that's a common experience. Whenever something like this happens, this was a common experience in the Bible. When someone would encounter some aspect of the glory of God, fear was often the response, right? This is one, one great illustration of this, example of this is back in Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter, chapter 6, it starts like this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah, so Isaiah is during, the, during one of the reigns of the kings of Israel, in the year of King Uzziah, the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook. And the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah speaking now. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people, amidst the peop- a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If God's glory is unveiled, which is what happens with Isaiah, even in some small way, it will expose the way things are supposed to be, what rightly ordered reality and beauty and community looks like. And how desperately far we are from that way. That's what happens when glory comes. It exposes us. And I, I doubt when this happened to, the, to these shepherds, that they were looking around at each other thinking, um, I'm pretty bad off, but at least I'm not as bad off as Drew. <laughs> they probably were thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably not. They didn't know the name Drew. Yeah. 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 Because they were probably thinking, I'm, I'm just not as bad off as Grant. 
Um, I'm sure they were probably thinking that. I, I doubt, uh, so when this happens, I don't think that they were looking around at other people and saying, oh yeah, I'm bad, but I'm probably not as bad off as, as this, right? There's, there's, no, there's no room for, for pride, right? There's no room for superiority when you're in the presence of glory that exposes you. When we encounter him, we become acutely aware of our own unglory, which humbles us, not just before God, it humbles us before other people. I mean, the, the, the playing field is absolutely leveled in the face of absolute glory. This doesn't make us all okay. It makes us all unokay. <laughs> which means um, this can redirect our attention off of ourself and certainly off the faults of our neighbor to the one who is glorious. That's the purpose of experiencing the glory. How much, how much do you think the shepherds were worried about their flock in the moment? So they're experiencing this. And I'm sure typically they're keeping an eye out on the flock. I bet they forgot that a flock was even there. Mm-hmm. How much were they worried about the fight that they had just had with their wife that morning? Or how the kids didn't clean the toys? <laughs> I mean, how much of the, or the, or their pol- political problems? Mm-hmm. How much of that was present on their mind at the moment? I, I doubt that was even on their mind. And if it, if it was, it probably was a reminder of how radically insignificant all those things were in light of the moment they were experiencing. It seems like it would have paled in comparison to what they were then experiencing in that moment. So where does this lead us? What do you think of some of what I'm saying? Like glory, it's hard to talk about glory because I've never had that experience. I I long for something like this. For me, if you don't mind me, please, yeah. Uh, I often, I think, I don't think about God the Father a lot. I think about Jesus a lot more, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit's, you know, somewhere I don't know, down there. <laughs> but like, I don't think of God and in His infinite, infiniteness, mm. His bigness. I, he's, the personal thing is a lot, like easier to, to grasp. Mm. Um, I feel like I can talk to Jesus. It's harder to talk to God. Uh, this is just me personally. Uh, anybody else connect with that? Yeah, I was actually I've been reading Ezekiel, and he's got like this whole yeah. vision of God that just leaves him like face down on the ground, you know? Yep, so yep. It is really, yeah, and it's like really similar to Revelation, too, actually. It's like um, with John's experience of Jesus, basically. But it's like this like really identical situation. It's like this face down, like, is all you can do. Yeah. Craziness. And it's not, it's not something you can, we can manufacture, right? I don't know if you've ever been in environments where it feels like someone's trying to manufacture the glory of God. And that is about the, not only the most awkward situation you can be in, but just artificial. You can't make it happen. That doesn't mean the glory doesn't exist, though. And it also doesn't mean the glory cannot fall on us and that we can't experience it because God can make himself known in this way. And when he does, it will first undo us. It's supposed to undo us. Uh, 
Is it possible that God has to frighten us? That he has to shake us in order to wake us up and to maybe re-engage us? I think. I mean, I think, I think you bring, I mean, this again, we've talked about some over the last few weeks with the Psalms, like suffering and difficulty and getting sick. Man, I hate it. That like wakes you up in certain ways. Right? We, we need for him to shake us by his glory. And at this point, when the shepherds were filled with the fear, they were helpless. Okay, we're just stopping at verse 9. We'll pick up later on, but we're stopping at verse 9 right here. They were absolutely f- helpless in this moment. For all that they knew, the angel had showed up to bring, like, the sword. They didn't know why, the, why the sh- this... Uh, this glory descended on them. For all they knew, this was, this was going to be their end. They, maybe this was judgment for them, right? Here's a, here's a dangerous part. This is a, this is a tightrope I feel like I walk. It's certainly true that we can let people sit in their fear and uncertainty and in their undoneness way too long. We can definitely do that before offering something beyond it. But I wonder if sometimes I give a counterfeit version of good news too quickly and inadvertently maybe I lead people into a false hope or a false sense of glory because God gives warnings about false prophets. Okay, speaking of Ezekiel, in chapter 13, um, this is in several different places with the prophets. Several of the prophets are challenged in this way. So it says this in Ezekiel 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, they have misled my people, talking about a lot of the prophets. They've misled my people saying, peace, when there is no peace. And then Jeremiah, similar thing. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. I wonder sometimes if, if we offer peace before peace should be offered. Mm. What do you think with that? Any, any comments or thoughts concerning this? This is, an, this is an ongoing tension for me. I kind of think in our culture it's more likely to, to not sit with pain. You know, more than sitting with Right. Um, so yeah, to offer peace or like kind of over spiritualize at times, or just be like, well, I mean, it's both can be true that you can be hurting and God gives good news. Yes. You can be sad, and yes, there will be a day when there is no sadness, but to negate one makes the other lose its glory, right? Yep. Yep. And it's, and it's power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, especially when there is not, especially when there's not peace. And I do think about this in situations like our friends in Ukraine right now, mm-hmm. where we get these updates. Right. Like, I want them to experience peace, but there's no right. peace. A prophet who comes in and says, peace, peace, mm-hmm. they would say, you are a liar. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. there is a peace offered in the unpeace. And this is what we will get to, right? 
but we need to understand it in light of the pain of what glory brings, which is our undoing. Mm-hmm. So with this, maybe, maybe we need to experience bad news. Maybe we need to experience fear. Maybe we need to experience our undoing to better appreciate the need for what comes next. As we sit with this, and this is, I'm going to kind of bring this to an end right for now. As we sit with this, this fear, and maybe we're not feeling it right now, but maybe over the next several weeks, God will show glory in a way that does some, it undoes us in some way. If we sit with this, we're preparing room for what is going to come next for the glory of the infinite greatness and absolute goodness to come near to us. But because, because the undoing actually prepares the heart for what is going to come next. It's infinite greatness and absolute goodness coming near to us. Not, not to judge and not to destroy, but to offer good news of great joy, which is what the angels are going to say. Freedom from fear, which is what the angel is going to say. A savior which is what the angel is going to present, who comes in humility, wrapped in rags, lying in a feeding trough. Infinite greatness, absolute goodness, shows up (laughs) in a child laying in a manger. This is how he comes to us. And this is what we're going to unpack as, as, as we go into the next several weeks a glory that lays down its glory so that others might enter glory that that's what our undoing is preparing us to receive being afraid and being undone might be how we're prepared for something greater a greater experience of life a greater experience of of who god is that will attract us and capture us and connect us that ultimately saves us even Father, thank you that you're a God of infinite greatness and absolute goodness. And your, your vastness is beyond our comprehension. And we want to see you. We want to encounter you. We need to be undone by you. But we also need for you not to leave us undone. And we thank you that what we're celebrating over the next several weeks is the entry of your glory into the world. Unlike anything we could have ever comprehended, we could have ever imagined you would do. For you who made all things became one of us. So that you might give up your glory, suffer even at our hands, so that we might enter your glory and experience your glory and all the beauty that comes with that. So Lord, be preparing our heart for what you have in store for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.